I don't know if you know, well, I suppose you do know, but our world has some very famous walls that you can visit and see. Perhaps you've been to some of them. I, I hope we've got a picture of one or two of them here coming up. Uh, can you tell me which is this wall? No? Ah. Anybody been that far east? That is the Great Wall of China. And apparently you can see it from outer space. I haven't been there to see it, but uh, that's what we're told. Here's a bit perhaps more uh, famous one in, a, in a one sense. And I've actually been there. Perhaps some of you have been there. This is the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where Jews still go to, to pray, of course, the old temple wall. And then, of course, I was going to say, uh, well, not all of us, but most of us are probably old enough to remember this wall. Well, yes, the Berlin Wall, which, of course, came down finally in 1989. I think that's just a bit that's left as a sort of memorial. Uh, when East and West Germany were united again, the Berlin Wall. Walls. Walls are built, of course, to separate people or property. And the basic reason, usually, for the wall is fear. Fear. It's a very strong emotion, isn't it? We're afraid of things. We're afraid of each other. We're afraid of each other as nations, and so we build walls and fences, and we have maybe on a, a more uh, local level, we have security codes, we have emergency alarms, of course. People live in, in gated communities, behind big walls, and so on. Why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we do it? What's missing? What would change the whole atmosphere of our lifestyle so that we wouldn't have to have it? Well, what's missing is peace. Peace and trust. We don't have peace, and without peace there's no security, so we're afraid we have to protect ourselves. Peace. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but peace is the key word of our passage, which Malcolm just read this morning. In fact, uh, we're looking at this letter to the Ephesians in home groups, which was mentioned again this morning, and uh, this may be going over old ground for some of you, uh, but I think it's a good thing to go back into and remind ourselves of some of the basic truths of our faith. It might be an, uh, a sort of invitation to some of you who've been thinking about going to a home group. Well, I wouldn't mind getting into Ephesians a bit more. Ephesians is a wonderful basic truth passage about the family of God, about what it means to be a Christian. And so here in this passage this morning, Paul is emphasizing this word, this idea of peace. In fact, you, well, I suppose you could say the whole Bible is about peace. The whole gospel is about peace. That's what the angels sang, isn't it? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. That's why Jesus came. Paul's big theme here is peace. And so he's going to speak, as we've just heard, about demolishing walls. Walls that have divided, especially in this case, two groups. Divided people for centuries. And he's going to show us in this passage that Jesus Christ and in him alone is their real peace. And so in verse 11, where we started this morning, Paul tells us there are some important truths that he wants us to remember as we think again this morning about who we are as the family of God. What defines our identity? How can we know this peace in our own lives and in our community? In the church. And so the first thing he says here in verse 11 is this we must remember our past. 
remember our past. Therefore remember that formerly, he says, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, that is by the Jews, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Now here, of course, in the first place, in this context, Paul is speaking literally to the Gentiles, the non-Jews in the congregation in that church in Ephesus. Most of them would not be Jews. They would be Gentiles. And the Jews were referred to as the circumcision. They were the people who followed the law given to Abraham in the Old Testament. Certainly most Greeks and Romans were not circumcised. They didn't practice circumcision. So Paul is telling the Gentiles in the church in Ephesus to remember what life was like for them before they became part of the family of God, the church, before they became Christians and trusted in Jesus. And he's, well, he's described their predicament a bit earlier in this chapter. We won't look at that now in the opening verses. But now he says, here's some other things you can think about. Their past predicament. First of all, he says, you were without Christ. Without Christ. Now that, of course, that's a very significant thing when you consider all that Paul has just been saying in Ephesians 1, rejoicing in the amazing blessings and the benefits of what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ, what we've received through faith in Jesus Christ. So if they're without Christ, then what he's saying is they don't know forgiveness of sins, they don't know freedom from the power of sin, they have no place in the eternal plans of God. There's no sense of his presence, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, no adoption into the family of God. Those were all some of the blessings that he's been talking about in chapter 1 about being in Christ. But now he says, you Gentiles, before you trusted in Jesus, you were without Christ. They were separate. They were outside. That's one description. And then secondly, he says, they were without citizenship in that sense. Listen. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. What does that mean? Well, they didn't belong to God's covenant community, this Old Testament church. They had no rights, no privileges as citizens in the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, he says they were without hope. They didn't share in the hope of those promises given to Abraham and to the Jews that one day a Messiah was going to come, a rescuer, someone who was going to put things right. And so they had no hope of a deliverer. And then finally, and worst of all, he says they were without God. Without hope and without God in the world. Without God. That's the ultimate reason for hopelessness, isn't it? No sense of, no point of reference to give our lives meaning. They were without a knowledge of his care in creation. Without a relationship with the one who has given us life. Without a sense of purpose and significance in a world that seems increasingly chaotic and hopeless. Without God. The um, French philosopher Jacques Rousseau, he famously said this, Man is free and yet everywhere he is in chains. He's unable to make sense of life without God, without Christ, without citizenship, without hope, without God. So, says Paul to these Gentiles, remember your past and what defined you before you came into the family of God, before you came to know 
God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I say, first of all, he's speaking in that first place to the Gentiles in Ephesus. But these truths apply just the same to us today if we don't have faith in Jesus in the 21st century. And what we see about us is a world that is increasingly chaotic and hopeless because it's a world without God, without any reference points. Especially here in the West and in Europe, it's a world that has rejected God and the Christian faith by and large, and we see the results of that in our own society today. So, he says, remember your past. But remember your past not to depress ourselves all over again, but of course remember your past to, to lift up your hearts in praise and worship and thanksgiving because of the amazing contrast that faith in Jesus brings. The amazing change that belonging to God's family now brings to us. And so for the second time in this famous chapter, he, he emphasizes that contrast with this word, but. Listen again, verse 13. That's how you were, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once very far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember your past so that it fuels your praises to the Savior who has rescued you. And that's why we come this morning, Sunday by Sunday, to remember what Jesus has done for us and to lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving. So remember your past. Remember what a difference Jesus makes. And then secondly, he says, remember therefore your peace. That's what it's all about. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, Paul says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, in his body, the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. What's he speaking about? Well, he's saying, remember, Jesus himself is our peace. And that statement has some very important implications for all of us at different levels. Now, his immediate context, again, his application, of course, is to rejoice that in Jesus, peace has now been established between Jew and Gentile. At last, that age-old bitter enmity has been removed. The two Jew and Gentile have become one, says Paul, as they both trust in Jesus. And he's thinking here, no doubt, of the literal barrier, the literal wall that was erected in the temple in Jerusalem, which prohibited any Gentiles coming any further into the inner court of the Jews. If you visit the archaeological museum in Istanbul today, you can see one of the two notices that have been discovered in the last century or so, outlining this. Here it is. You can see it today. This was discovered in 1871 in an archaeological dig in Jerusalem. It's written in Greek, uh, and it says this. No foreigner is to go beyond the railings or the barrier of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death. So there's an actual, there was an actual barrier with this warning of the pain of death. I suppose you could say in a way 
as we've been thinking sometimes here about the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, in a, the whole of the temple building was a series of walls and divisions and barriers, dividing worshippers and restricting entry to some. So beyond this first barrier, no Gentile could enter. Then beyond the second barrier, no women could enter. And then after that barrier, well, male Jews could enter into the court of Israel, but then after that barrier, only priests could go any further into the court of the priests. And then finally, there was one further barrier, only one man, and he only once a year could go beyond the last barrier into the most holy place behind the curtain. That was the, <coughs> the high priest, of course. He alone could go on the Day of Atonement, which is what we were thinking about last Sunday. You know, I, I've sometimes thought, I wonder what, what Jesus did. I'm sure he did, but um, I wonder what Jesus thought when he came to the temple and he saw those notices in the temple forbidding Gentiles to enter into the court of the Jews. Scholars think there were probably at least seven or eight of those sorts of notices in the temple at Jesus' time. The penalty of going further was death. And I wonder <clears throat> how often Jesus looked at those notices and he realized of what was to come. He thought of the reality of what taking down those notices, making Jew and Gentile one, what that would mean for him. His death. Now says Paul, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we're told the curtain of the temple, that last big barrier, was torn in two from top to the bottom, from heaven downwards. And the walls separating us from God because of our sin and from each other because of our selfishness, they've been taken away in Jesus. In other words, through the sacrifice of his own life, his own death, through the lifeblood of the cross of Jesus, Jesus has destroyed these barriers, two big barriers, really. He met the demands of the moral law for all of us, which condemns us and is a barrier in our knowledge of God because we are sinful, but Jesus met it for us. He's paid the penalty for us. He died in our place for us. That's the one great big barrier. And then he has fulfilled and abolished all the, the regulations and the rules of the ceremonial laws of the Jews for us. So we don't have to worry anymore about what we eat or how we wash or where we go or, or what we wear and things like that. Jesus has made a new and living way into the presence of God our Father for all of his children, Jew and Gentile, as they trust in him. And so now we can come freely. To worship him together as one new humanity, one family. So prohibitions against Gentiles, like you and me probably, and restrictions against women, like half of us, and limited access for ordinary people who've not been ordained as priests. All that has been removed. We can all come to God. We, are, we believe the priesthood of all believers. We don't need an intermediary anymore because Jesus is the great mediator and we can all come freely to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And he's broken down all these barriers. 
Remember how Paul put it in Galatians? He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God by faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are, we are all children of God, part of the family of God. Maybe many different nations, we are different nations across the globe, but we're one family in Jesus Christ. He reconciles us to God and to each other. He is our peace. But then on a, on a personal level as well, I think this is so important, remember your peace. Remember the source of your peace. Remember that it is Jesus is your peace, for he himself is our peace. That's such a comforting truth. Remember, it's not your sense of peace that is your peace. Your peace doesn't depend upon your feelings, your peace with God. Our feelings are so fragile, so fickle. They're so easily shaped by our circumstances, aren't they? We're so changeable. No, our feelings are not the basis of our peace. And you know, not even our obedience is the basis of our peace. Our obedience is important, but it's not the basis of our peace. Our strength of faith is not the basis of our, of our peace. Faith, of course, is important, but the strength of our faith? No, that's not, the, that's not the basis of it. So often in pastoral work, we meet people who are, who are afraid because they don't have enough faith, they don't think they have enough faith, or, or maybe they, they know, well, we've, we've all failed and we continue to fail, and we're not obedient. Well, that's true, and we need to repent, but that is not the basis of your peace. Christ alone is the basis of your peace, for he himself is our peace. What a wonderful, comforting, liberating, worshipful statement. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is like sinking sand. I dare not trust my sweetest frame or my sweetest mood, or my sweetest feeling, but wholly lean on Jesus' name because he is the only one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He is our peace. So is he your peace this morning? When things begin to crumble or go wrong or, or you don't feel so good or you fail again, he is your peace. That's the gospel. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he is our peace. So, remember your past, remember your peace, and then finally he says to encourage us in the family of God, remember your position. Remember your position. Consequently, he says in verse 19. Consequently. In other words, as a consequence of all that Jesus has achieved for us, the reconciliation that he's obtained for us, the peace that he's bought for us, consequently, your whole position now has changed. You're different. You're transformed by his grace. And Paul uses three illustrations here just, just to tie that, that in and tie that up because we are now in Jesus. First of all, he says, here's the illustration of, of citizenship again. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. So membership in God's kingdom now is not dependent on your human birth, whether you're Jew or Gentile. We are saved by grace, not race. 
And because of this grace, we are no longer aliens and refugees outside of God's kingdom with no rights. We could be, perhaps face eviction and deportation. No, we are fellow citizens with God's people. Our status has entirely changed. We are citizens in God's kingdom. We, we have a homeland to which we belong and from which no one can ever exclude us. Some of you know we lived for 12 or 13 years in southern Africa, in Namibia. We loved it there. But we were always aware that um, no matter how much at home we felt and we brought about children there, we were always aware that we were, we were foreigners. We were traveling on a foreign passport. And your passport and all your papers always had to be up to date with, with visa stamps and work permits. And they could stop you at any security check in the road. And there were quite often quite a few of them. And you always had to have all your papers with you, your ID and your, your passport and your up-to-date visa and your permits and so on. You could be stopped and challenged by the authorities. And if you didn't have all those things, you could be in trouble. But for two of our children who were born in Namibia, their status was entirely different. They had Namibian birth certificates. They could claim Namibian citizenship with all its rights to travel freely, unchallenged. If they wanted to, they could have stayed, they could have owned property, they could have invested in the country through business and so on. Their status was different. Now, says Paul, listen, you Gentiles in Ephesus, listen, you, you Gentile Christians in Cardiff today, remember your new position, your new identity in God's kingdom. As far as God is concerned in his kingdom, you're not traveling now on passports and visas, which have always got to be checked and challenged and see if you're doing well enough. And No, you have birth certificates. You've been born again of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God, into Jesus Christ. You really do belong. And so because of that, because of Jesus, and he is our peace, no one can challenge our standing in the kingdom of God for all eternity. What a wonderful truth. Remember, remember that position. Then, then he says, remember your position in the family. That's, that's our title for this morning. We're part of God's family. We are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So in Christ, we all belong to the same family, God's family. I think that's a, a warmer picture perhaps than citizenship, isn't it? Now Jew and Gentile in Jesus Christ. We're not only together under God's rule in his kingdom, but we are children together under God's roof in his family. And amazingly, he says here in verse 18, we have been brought into the family and the fellowship of the very Trinity itself, themselves. Listen, through Jesus, the Son, we have access to the Father by the one Spirit. What an amazing position we are by faith in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters together in the family of God. We may have different earthly nationalities. We may have different cultures here on earth. We have different languages, but we are the children of God. As we used to say in the international church in, in Greece, in Athens, many nations, but one family. Many nations, but one family in Jesus. And then the third and last picture he uses is that of the building. Now we all belong to God's temple. That's what he says here. We're no longer f 
foreigners and aliens. We're part of God's household. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. I wonder whether he's still thinking about those, those stones, that building in, in, the, in the temple. So what an amazing change now. Remember your position now, he says. From being excluded from the physical temple in Jerusalem, these Gentile Christians in Ephesus, you and I in Cardiff, we're now very much part of this spiritual, eternal, new temple that God is building, his church. So be encouraged, Christian brother, sister, this morning. We're part of a church that will last for eternity. We're part of a kingdom that will never pass away. We're part of a family which will never be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All because we are in Christ, part of the family. So, as I close, I suppose the question is this. Do you know this? Is that true of you? Have you come to this amazing realization and acceptance? The great truth, the great difference between being without Christ, without God, without hope, and being in Christ. Faith in Jesus, trusting in Him. He is our peace. And we have peace with God, and we have the peace of God in our hearts. Now, if we say that is true of us, of course, then we should live that out day by day, starting here in our families, in this family of God. Peace, concord, agreement, maintaining that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if that's true, then we have every reason for hope and to enjoy what it means to be in Jesus Christ and in part of his wonderful family. I trust it's so. Well, we're going to finish our worship this morning by singing a lovely old hymn uh, which encourages us to trust in the Lord Jesus and then to obey him as well, to live it out in our lives. Trust and obey. We'll stand to sing. <clears throat>